0: You need to turn that off. Jimmy Murphy here with Pierre Maguire on the iTest on the Sick Podcast Network, and we're ready for our first live stream. Turn, turn up your, your volume. volume. Because you're about to listen to the Sick, Sick, Podcast. Sick
1: Podcast. The iTest with Pierre Maguire and Jimmy Murphy. The Stanley Cup winning Colorado Avalanche. And after 22 years
0: the sickest nhl podcast it's gonna be sick hey jimmy murphy pierre Maguire, back here on a live version of the eye test on the sick podcast network and uh pierre lots of great feedback from our lot, uh, last episode with uh kent hughes of the montreal canadians and that was a really fun one wasn't it
1: it was and we can't thank kent enough number one for his time and number two for how forthright he was i thought his answers to the questions were fantastic, illuminating towards fans of the organization and about the organization and also about the responsibility he had, has as a general manager of an amazing brand, the Montreal Canadiens.
0: For sure. And, you know, there were some really interesting tidbits he gave on uh, Yuri Slefkovsky, uh Lane Hudson. I thought it was interesting. He says, "Yeah, we, we want him to turn pro. That's a great question by you. Uh, and, and just a lot of stuff. He really got into it. And, you know, one thing, too, we love and. For people who haven't tuned in, you're just tuning in for the first time here. Uh, We love to let our guests have fun, Pierre. And I I think that's one of the biggest things that we're proud of on this broadcast. And I could tell Kent was enjoying himself. When you and I
1: decided to think about doing this, and it was a, a real work in collaboration between the two of us, one of the things we talked about was how much fun we wanted it for people to not only watch and listen, but to participate. Mm. And um, I think that's something we forgot about in our society is how to have fun. Yeah. And I think this is really important. Hockey's supposed to be fun. And I was in touch with somebody today who's made their living in the NHL for a long time. He says, it's almost like the fun's been taken out of it. And the fun should really be put back into it. And I think hopefully we can just be a little bit more of the people that can help provide a little bit more fun.
0: Exactly. Well, look, I mean, I got a, a pub background in the background there. McLean's <laughs> Pub in Montreal, one of my favorite stomping grounds there. Um, but, you know, that's what we want people to feel like. We want, we want it to be like we're just hanging out at the pub and we're shooting the breeze about hockey. And, and that's how we want our viewers to feel as well. And uh, But speaking of something not so fun, Pierre, before we get into some questions from our viewers here, uh, the St. Louis Blues have fired head coach Craig Berube. And, you know, as you and I were talking off air we're not too quite sure what exactly he was going to be able to do with that roster. I mean, uh, I actually thought if you asked me where the, the St. Louis Blues would be in the standings at this point in the season, I actually had them pegged lower, Pierre. So I, I felt like he was kind of doing a, a better than expected job.
1: I do too. Um, and it's hard for me to really get involved in this, but I will do my very best one because. I'm friends with the general manager there, Doug Armstrong. I've known him a long time. I knew his late father a long time. It's it's a quick little side story, but when I used to go on the road scouting, both as a college coach and as an NHL executive, one of the groups I would hang around with would be the guys that Doug Armstrong's father would be leading, whether it be over to Europe or Western Canada. I'd hang around with the late Red Sullivan. I'd hang around with Mr. Armstrong, hang around with the late Jack Bowman. You know, tons of uh, great scouts, Teddy Hampson, the late Patty Janelle, and it'd be a learning lesson on the road. And so I'm really good friends with Doug because of, you know, no one is dead. And on the other side, Craig barubia I mean, so much respect and admiration. I had a chance to do every single one of the St. Louis Blues games in their 2019 Cup run. I was between the benches. Um, part of the games I worked with the great Doc Emmerich, part of my work with Kenny Albert. Uh, But I can just tell you, Jimmy, I mean, Craig Berube did an amazing job that year with the St. Louis Blues. He's done a great job with the Blues ever since. And I'm kind of torn here because I agree with you on the roster. I don't know if the roster was up to snuff in terms of being a playoff team in the West. And I see where they're saying it's about making sure that we're all all held accountable. Well, I don't know. I mean, it looks like only the head coach is being held accountable in this instance. I don't know how much the players were held accountable. I don't know about the decision makers being held accountable either.
0: Well, I'll tell you, I did, I did catch some snippets of his press conference today, Pierre. And one thing I'll give him credit for now, you're right. They haven't to this point been held accountable, but he did say, including myself, everyone is held accountable going forward here and no one is safe. And I thought that was very interesting. It's, it's, it's rare when you hear a a general manager say that after he's fired a coach, but you know, he's sending a shot across the bow to the players there. And I think also to himself and to his colleagues uh, in the managerial positions. So it will be interesting to see how they react to this. I mean, usually as we've seen, teams will get that immediate bump. But I think, you know, you really judge was the change successful, I'd say at least five games or more after the change is made when you can really start to tell, okay, this is having an effect this way or that way. Uh, and, you know, look, we looked at the Edmonton, there's been two other coaching changes as well. So, I mean, you look at the Edmonton Oilers, uh, I mean, yeah, I don't that's think, any- a- yeah, that's, that's, that's been unbelievable what's happened there, Pierre. I mean, I watched that game last night and they're just a completely different team than a month ago. They really are. Puck
1: possession's a big part of it and they're getting better team defense. That's another part of it. So that says the players are buying in. Uh, they're less selfish. They're sharing the puck more. Evan Bouchard, for those that haven't watched him over the course of his junior career, early on as his NHL career, all of a sudden he's become a, a revelation. And I think part of that is because he's utilizing his shot. So a little bit of a pat on the back to Paul Coffey, who's there now as an assistant coach. And I think Paul's done a real good job amalgamating their defense into their offense, which is a big part of how Edmonton's been playing. But also you look at John Hines in Minnesota, Jimmy, another one of those coaching changes you talked about. Mm-hmm. John Hines has gone in there. And, again, this is not a shot at Dean Evison, but Johnny's done a good job. They have an identity yeah. now as a team. And one of the guys that's really thriving there, Matt Boldy, he's taken off since John Hines went in. Mm-hmm. Marco Rossi, he's taken off uh, since he's gone in there. Um, so, you know, and Brock Faber has really started to go. Um, so for Minnesota, that. the coaching change has really made a difference too. So we'll see if this one works or not. Um, I'm worried about the roster for Drew Bannister. I'm just being frank here. Um, and it gives me no joy to do that. But I, I don't know if that roster, at this point anyways, is an everyday playoff roster.
0: Well, yeah. And you, you look at, it's interesting, you you started this off talking about that 2019 run, Pierre. And what what did they win on? They won on a playoff-type roster. They won with playoff hockey. And they grinded you. And they they just wore you down. And they came at you in waves. And, and then they kind of lost that identity over the course of the last few years, you know, with some... Gr- Great defensemen on their way out there. And it just, it didn't, I didn't, I I couldn't see where they were going. You know what I mean? Like, and I still think they're sort of caught between. They're in that like purgatory stage, if you know what I mean. Well,
1: I do. I know exactly what you mean. So let's just look at it. Um, Alex Petrangelo left as an unrestricted free agent to Vegas. They didn't want to sign him. They brought in Tory Krug. Not a knock on Tory Krug, but Alex Petrangelo's already won another Stanley Cup in Mm -hmm. Vegas. He's a big part of that team. Um, they had no control over Jay Bowmeister having heart issues and eventually retiring. Mm-hmm. They have no control over that. Um, Vince Dunn, they might have had control over that. Obviously, lose him to Seattle in an expansion situation. Um, but what I remember, and, you know, this is a big part of it. We talk about the eye test and the character part of it. Think back to what the fourth line was of the St. Louis Blues in 2019 when they won. Ivan Barbashev, who's playing as a first or second liner in Las Vegas right mm-hmm. now. Sunquist who's a pretty good player. And then you look at, obviously, Alexander Steen, who took a demotion because of Craig Berube and went up to him and said, hey, Steen,er, we're going to need you to play deeper in the lineup, but you're still going to have a very important role. And that line made a massive difference, especially winning a game seven in Boston, much like when the Bruins won in 2011, Jimmy, if you remember the fourth line and Mm -hmm. what a job they did. You think about Danny Paya. You think about Gregory Campbell. You think about Sean Thornton. You know, you don't need notes to remember that. That line made a massive difference. So yeah. you're going to win game sevens on the road. You're going to win Stanley Cup finals. you got to have those guys that pass the eye test. And St. Louis had a bunch of those guys then. I don't know if they have as many of them now, Jimmy. I just don't know.
0: Yeah, i will be interested And Pierre, before we get to some questions, was there anything else you struck you from the games last night? It was a very busy night in the NHL. The Pittsburgh
1: power play. And oh, that's finally, right. They finally they clicked. Deals. So, you know, I'm glad you asked me that because – one of the things that's important. I do a radio show there every Tuesday at 3:30 Eastern Time with Mark Madden, who's you know an icon in the Pittsburgh sports scene, football and, and you pet uh, baseball and football and basketball and obviously the Penguins. And he asked, "What, what would you do?" I said, "What I, the number one thing I do is Crosby would touch the puck every power play. He'd be in charge of the power play. Nobody mm-hmm. else would." I yeah. said, "If you look at just look at the Washington Capitals for years, for years and years and years." Everything that happened on that power play, it happened through Nick Backstrom. I know people talk about Carlson. They talk about Ovechkin. They talk about Kuznetsov. They talk about Tom Wilson. Nothing happened on that power play. Nothing, Jimmy, yeah. unless it went through Nick Backstrom. So you watch last night. Jake Gensel gets the first power play goal. Puck goes through Sidney Crosby's stick. You know, you look at points, puck from the point, boom. You get the puck back to the point. Carlson shoots it. Boom, it's on net. It gets in the, finds its way to the back of the net because of deflection. The power play matters for Pittsburgh. They're playing in Montreal tonight. If they don't have a good power play tonight, they probably won't
0: win. Yeah, for sure. And Montreal is a team we're going to get to a lot in these questions as I've been kind of taking a sneak peek at them as they've flown in here. And we appreciate the feedback we've had and the questions you have. So let's start with some of our Twitter questions right now. Uh, Guys, why don't you roll up the first one? So Alex B. Smith. Ooh, not a Montreal one, a different one. I did. This is Alex B. Smith, a friend of mine. He hosts the... uh, Ice Guys podcast for all you hockey bettors out there. I highly suggest checking it out. 2 p.m. Uh, Monday through Friday. They do a great job teeing up all the games and giving you all the insight you need to do some hockey betting. But, Pierre, what do you think of this? My Christmas Christmas wish list for the Blackhawks since they won't move the two lumps of coal and net. Ouch. That we we get our gift in mid-May in the form of another number one overall pick. And a guy we've spoken about up here, Macklin Celebrini, comes from West Side. Oh, wow. Could you imagine a one-two punch of Celebrini and Connor Bedard?
1: Well, it kind of goes back when you think about it. Crosby and Malkin, Fedorov and Iserman, Lemieux and Francis. So you start setting up that dynamic duo, Sackick and Forsberg. You start to set up that dynamic duo down the middle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it, part of the seven-player profile, you need to have two dominant centers. You need to have a power forward. That's three. You need to have a specialist for it, penalty killer, face-off guy, shot blocker. That's four. Then you need an elite puck-moving defenseman. They have that in Seth Jones. And then you need, obviously, a real shutdown defenseman. I think eventually they're going to get that in Vlasic. But if you look at those Chicago Blackhawk teams that won three Stanley Cups through the early part of, you know, 2010 to uh, 2015 – They had the seven-player profile personified. And so I think if they got Macklin celebrating in Chicago, there'd be a lot of celebrating on Madison
0: Avenue. I'll tell you that. It would be pretty wild. It would be something. But I don't – Pierre, I don't know. I mean, can you see them falling into that spot again?
1: Well, a lot has to do, obviously, with the lottery. Um, Yeah. And I think they're going to have some competition. Uh, You know, Columbus is obviously struggling significantly. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's that's another area to look at and watch over. Uh, Anaheim's got to start to get going here, Jimmy. We both thought that Anaheim was on a bit of a run there, and then they kind of tailed back a little bit. So yeah. that's that's a team to watch uh, going forward that would be able to compete potentially for that last spot. Um, I think they're better than that, but we'll see. But could it
0: happen? Yeah, it could happen in Chicago. It could. And really if could. you look at San Jose, It's it's – it looks like they don't want that number yeah, one pick. David, uh, they're, David, they are David, turning
1: around. And you know what, Jimmy? I'm glad you brought them up. Give yeah. David a lot of credit. He's done a heck of a job there keeping everybody on the straight and narrow and really playing hard to the end. Uh, yep. That says a lot about David and the respect the players have
0: for him. For sure. All right, let's go to our next Twitter question. Montreal Canadiens fan Farla to win. Top goaltender at the juniors. Lane Hudson, top defenseman. Montreal's line one to score on a scale of most NHL top lines. Oh, and I wish I were taller. <laughs>
1: well, I, I, Fowler does have a chance to do it. We'll see long term whether he can do it. I, I do think Lane Hudson has a legitimate chance to be the top defenseman uh, at the World Junior that's coming up in Gothenburg, Sweden. Uh, in terms of taller, let's not forget Kirby Docks hurt. Mm-hmm. You know, let's not forget that. And, you know, that's. Can the Canadians be bigger? Yes. Do I think they will be bigger long-term? The answer is yes. Do I think the organization understands the need for size? I think Coach – or Mr. Hughes told us that the other day.
0: Yes. Yeah. flat-out said it. Bigger, yeah. Yeah, so that'll be something I think they focus on, not just in the draft, in free agency or via the trade market as well. And, you know, one thing, Pierre, that we should bring up, too, about that is I I think that Kent Hughes and his staff, especially his scouting staff – have done a really good job of keeping tabs on prospects that were highly touted coming in, but have struggled a bit, whether it be at the AHL level or the NHL level as they they filtered into the league, and maybe teams get impatient. We've discussed this before, how teams sometimes give up too easily on kids, and they get impatient, and Hughes and his staff seem to always be there to pounce, and I think Kirby Doc was a, a great example of that. You
1: know what? I love that you said that. That's a great point. Here's the other thing. Remember, Ken Hughes has a son playing at Ohio State, so he's watching tons of Big Ten games. Mm-hmm. He's got another son playing at Boston University, so he's a lot of, watching a lot of games on the East Coast. And Jeff Gordon has a son playing at Boston University as well, Jack. So between the two upper management people, they got a lot of eyeballs on college games, and there are a lot of free agents. And this is a great year, this year and next year a great year for potential players that were overlooked in the draft to come in and really help your organization in terms of depth and also character players. And I think a lot of managers around the league understand that, Jimmy.
0: For sure. Let's go ahead to our next question. Montreal, I wish for two elite forwards to fall into our lap to play with Doc on the top line, making Caulfield-Suzuki-Slaff our second line. I like that. I like that a lot because we've talked about this before Pierre letting guys fall into their roles. You just mentioned it with St. Louis in that year, letting guys find their roles and sometimes more than often actually in the NHL unfortunately players are forced into roles that maybe they're not ready for or maybe they'll never be ready for Pierre.
1: Well, one of the things I'm looking for when I watch Laval play and I I try to watch the American League a ton, um And sometimes I get to watch it live. Sometimes I just watch it on AHL TV. But one of the things is, is Sean Farrell progressing in Laval? And I Mm -hmm. think after a slow start, Sean Farrell is starting to progress. I don't think he can play as a third or fourth line player in the NHL. He's got to be a first or second line player and a power play guy. So I think that's positive news. Joshua DeWa is another one um, who's playing in Laval. And if they could get him going, I think that would be – really positive. And let's remember now, I don't know if he qualifies as a top six forward, but Owen Beck, who's going to be a big leader for Canada at the World mm-hmm. Junior, uh, he's somebody that merits serious consideration. And I would not be surprised uh, to see where Luke Tuck comes in, the pl- player at Boston University, who's really a true senior, who should be a junior in college, but he's a year ahead because he left the development program early. He's a big, physical, robust guy. He's playing better under Jay Pandolfo, Uh, than he did under Albie O'Connell. So I think there's a lot of good stuff for the Kings. And this is one thing, Jimmy, I mean this. I think the Canadians will dip their foot into the free agent pool, whether it's out of major junior, out of Europe, or out of U.S. college hockey this year to make their team better as well long-term.
0: Yeah, I could see that as well. Next question. Oh, some penguins. Here you go, Pierre. You were just talking about them earlier. Yeah. uh the bottom six depth they need support everything that is already going right with this team a power play we mentioned that already uh and a cameo by phil kessel even if it doesn't make sense you know nobody's talking about that Pierre. so i want to get we'll, we'll get to that in a bit why don't we address the first couple of questions there um i think one
1: of the things that they thought they addressed when they did their offseason acquisitions was when they went out and got lars eller I think Mm -hmm. they thought they were going to stabilize the bottom six a little bit more. They let Ryan Palin go. Obviously, he's doing great in Philadelphia. I think they thought Drew O'Connor, who played at Dartmouth College, would be more of a depth player for them in Pittsburgh. He's actually moved up, Jimmy. He's playing with Sidney Crosby some nights. He's playing with Geno Malkin other nights. Yeah. Um, You know, the acquisition of Riley Smith, they thought probably would push people down. Um, So I think their bottom six is trying, they missed Nolachari. Yeah. You know, Noel doesn't get a lot of points, but Noel does a lot in that bottom six position. So that injury has set them back a little bit. I think when their roster is really healthy, Jimmy, I think they got a chance to fix that bottom six. Lars Eller is a big part of it. And how about Jeff Carter last night with two goals? He's been playing as a fourth line center. Yeah, I
0: was happy for him. He's been through hell down there.
1: You know, you go back with a player for so long, and I, I go back to the 4 World Junior with Jeff, and yep. I just think so highly of him and the two Cups that he won in L.A. And, you know, going to the final, people forget, you know, in Philadelphia, Mike Richards and Jeff Carter in 2010, everybody talked about Claude Giroux. Mm-hmm. Nobody really talked enough about Christopher Pronger, who was holding that defense up, and Mike Richards and Jeff Carter and what they meant. And so, for me, I, I think of Jeff, and I know he's been taking a pretty good beat down there in Pittsburgh this year. I was so happy for him last night getting a couple goals. That was great.
0: Yeah, I can tell you the 2009-2010 uh, t- Bruins remember that team well. Oh, do they ever? <laughs>
1: <laughs> you, know, you know who remembers it really well? Cam Neely. He wasn't yeah. the president of the team then. But oh. I remember sitting in the stands with him at a morning skate, and even then I was like, oh, man, he might kill somebody. It was yeah. like a morning skate, he was angry.
0: I just remember that, Pierre. And, you know, I'll tell you, too, if I'm not mistaken, Carter was injured for a few of those games as well, right, during that playoff oh, I run. I don't
1: remember. That's a few yeah. years ago, Jimmy. I don't yeah, I, I, I think one. I remember
0: because you know why? Because I remember actually just bumping into him in a, as a healthy or an injured scratch up in a press box and shooting the breeze with him. really nice guy. Oh, yeah, no, um, Real but game. I'll tell you, Pierre, you know, not to sidetrack, but Mark Recchi always tells me, he says, we don't win the Stanley Cup in 2011 if that doesn't happen in 2010, because that set the tone for us. And we were on a mission right from the second they walked off that ice in 2010, they said it in the dressing room that after the game, we're coming back and this is what we needed to happen to win the cup. And they did. So sometimes teams need uh, you know, kind of a slap in the face or just a wake up call like that.
1: Yeah, no, that's fair. And the crate, she broke and rest too, oh, yeah, And good, obviously good. that was, that happened right in front of me. And I was like, Whoa, that's pretty nasty. Um, the other thing that happened just for the Bruins in 2011, and we're talking hockey like two guys in yep. Club in Montreal. Um, what I remember is the beginning of the year, the Bruins were overseas. They started, I think, in Belfast and they eventually ended up in Prague. And what's interesting about that is I think the Bruins were planning on having Tuka Rask be the starting goalie that they season. They were, yep. And Something went off the rails in Europe just a little bit. And there's this guy out of Burlington, Vermont. He's actually from Michigan, but out of University of Vermont. Tim yep. Thomas, I think his name is, right, Jimmy? I think. Oh, yeah. Right? What a, he? I've never seen a goalie play the position of goal like a linebacker in football, like the way you Oh, play. yeah.
0: He it played was,
1: like he was a linebacker.
0: He really did. He really did. He was a, great, he was it was phenomenal. great to see him on uh, the beginning of season two when they brought all the guys back for the centennial celebration. But, Pierre, I remember that uh, that Prague trip very well, and you're exactly right. Tuka started the first game. I want to say they lost maybe five to one, four to one. That first game, switched over to Tim Thomas, and they never looked back. and And by the way, Pierre, I had a daughter nine months later, so that trip is very dear to me.
1: Okay, I'm not going to go
0: there. <laughs> <laughs> Prague was a very special place, but anyhow, uh, I'll tell you though. I remember recce you know when they talked about it they had a, a zoom session back uh i think it was in 2021 or yeah the 10-year anniversary and they were reminiscent about that trip and, and they said you know that really helped us bond they started in belfast then they went to prague and uh they said from there on we we just became such a tight group and you could see it as they as they went on through that season Pierre, let's get the next question here More top five draft picks. Well, yeah, we addressed that. That would be interesting, Marvin. And by the way, Marvin Matthews, is a, a, a follower of mine, a great guy. Uh, thanks for the question there. Yeah, and look, I, it's possible. I really do. I think it is. Pierre, the other thing, too, so let's say they don't wind up via the lottery in a top five or via the standings, whatever. Kent still has a lot of things to use to trade into the top five, if I'm yes. not mistaken. And no, that's, well, that's something I'd keep an eye on as well.
1: They've got ammunition. They've done a good job stockpiling ammunition. There's no question. In order to play in the game, you got to have a chip in the game. And I yep. think Canadians have a chip in the game or more than one. Um, and the other thing, too, is eventually you're going to see – I know the cap's going up, shockingly so, but good mm-hmm. on the league and the Players Association for finding a way to get the cap to go up. Um, but there's going to be some wiggle room, I think, for some teams, too, uh, in free agency. So it's not just going to be about the draft this year. I think it's going to be about acquiring assets through free agency, college free agency, junior free agency, NHL free agency, internal development. It's going to be an interesting offseason, but for the Canadians, could they finish in, the, in a pick in the top five? They could, 100%. They could. The one guy that nobody's talking about, and it's kind of weird, Cole is really good, Jimmy.
0: Yeah. He's
1: really good. And yet
0: he's at- not on USA, which oh, I thought was very Cole- interesting.
1: The one thing I would tell everybody, if you get a chance um, to see the U.S. national team development program, U18 team, watch him play. Mm-hmm. All he does is score, Jimmy. He, he doesn't do it. He just he scores. Yeah, he does. He scores. He's going to be going to Boston University. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Canes don't have any players there. <laughs> <laughs> They're play a team now. It's amazing.
0: And it's so ironic. It's in Boston. Uh, and Shane, uh, we appreciate your comments there in the uh, in the comments section. Let's go to our next Twitter question. Ooh, that's going to be interesting. That, yeah. yeah that, that's so much outside of hockey, play. Pierre, to me, outside influences that influence whether that happens or not.
1: Yeah. It's more than that, too. It's contracts and everything else. But I, that would be music to the ears of Danny Briere and Keith Jones, who, by the way, we've given them numerous shout-outs on the show and John Tortorella, I think we talked about him on our mm-hmm. last show. What a job they've done in Philadelphia! Um, you know, I watched their game last night with Nashville, and I, I can tell you that they should have, if not for UC Saros, they win that game. I mean, Nashville pushed back and they hung in there, and give them yep. a lot of credit for that. But man, oh man, Philadelphia pushed the pace of that game, and you know, again, we go back to something we talked about with Travis me
0: Yep, <laughs>
1: every game. I know every game. So I, I was talking to a former NHL player before we came on, and we were talking about connecting. And he's going like he watched our show, and he says he's got. A, if they make the playoffs, he'll be in the MVP discussion.
0: For sure, for sure. Such a smart player too. And the other thing too, Pierre, like you know, we we're saying uh, we've been hearing you know Nick Sealer and Sean Walker's name kind of bantered about yeah. in trade rumors. I, why? I mean, why? Why would the Flyers do that right now? Everything's moving well. Everybody's on the same page. I just, unless it was really worth it, I I, I don't mess with anything right now. I just kind of let things keep going the way they're going and, and let these guys develop with that positive environment that they've created through the winning. Um, I don't touch anything if I'm Daniel Brier right now.
1: No, why would you? Cam York's really started to come too. Oh, know, gosh, I'm happy to for him. him. He's he's really started to find his way, the young man at the University of Michigan. Um, and you look at the way Travis Sanheim has played most of the season. This is the best he's played, so good patience and and good coaching. Brad Smith works with their defense Uh uh, in Philadelphia, and Brad's a really good coach. He was a really good player, by the way, an undersized defenseman, elite puck mover, um, and he's been a very good coach for a long time in a lot of different situations. And you can see the respect he has with John Tortorella. Um, So I think Philadelphia's in a good shape. I I don't know why you would want to be in a rush to start moving guys around, but Mishkoff? you would take him in a second to
0: back. get him over that fast. And yeah, I'm glad you brought up Sandheim there, Pierre. You know, over the summer, he was almost dealt to St. Louis. Speaking of the Blues, remember that?
1: Well, okay. well, hold on a second. Kevin Hayes did get dealt to the Blues. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I do remember yep. that. The answer is yes.
0: And, uh, you know, that that's something I'd like to bring up to you. I mean, so you're you're a player. You know that your team tried to trade you. They had something in place. They were ready to move you. And it just fell apart. And now you're back with them. How awkward is that? And how do you get over that awkwardness when something like that happens? Well,
1: I think it's just meeting, sitting down, and being man to man. And I watched Scotty Bowman do this so well in Pittsburgh um, when I was working with him, and Bob Johnson too, the late Bob Johnson. They wouldn't play politics. They would bring you in, sit you down, and say, "Here's five things you're doing well, and here's five things you're not doing well, and let's fix the five things you're not doing well, and let's keep." making those five things you're doing well let's just keep making them better and if you answered back in a negative way then they'd give it to you (laughs) but if you just go in there and listen um and you can find a way to kind of smooth things out I think it could always work out one of the things that was really important with those two championship teams in 91 and 92 in Pittsburgh 10 game segment breakdowns and we did them religiously with the players and every coach was responsible for four or five different reports that they'd have to do. And they were really thorough. Mm-hmm. And I think players appreciated them at the time because they wanted to be dealt with like they were men, because they are. Yeah. You know, they're in the NHL for a reason. They're not Lilliputians. They're tough guys. Yeah. And so they want to be told honestly, what do they have to do to be better? What do they have to do to make get more ice time so they can make more money? And I think that that really helped our group. And I think that's one of the ways you sell something down like that. You just bring them in and you're forthright and honest and say, going forward, this is how we're going to help you. And this is how you're going to help us.
0: Yeah. And you know, something I remember my dad used to say to me too, in situations like that, I forget there was a, there was a trade like that in baseball or something like that happened with the Red Sox. And he said, Hey, if I'm, if I'm looking at a kid right after that and he comes back and he, we're going to hey, we're going forward together. And you know what? we're trying to move you because we know you have value. We respect you. We re, like we think a lot of you and that was the only way we could pull this trade off yeah. and the other team thought that highly of you so we're not upset that it didn't work. It's just it's just business and that's that's part of it and and good on Sanheim too to have the maturity and and also the team mentality to move yeah. forward like that. So that, that like we continue to say they're one of if not the best stories in the NHL this year, the Philadelphia Flyers. So yep. 100% All right, well, I think we got a couple more here, and then we'll look over at some YouTube questions. I see them coming. Oh, I guess we're going to go right there. Matthew asks, what is Alex Newhook's upside, and what did you think of the Canadians taking Reinbecker over Mitch Quickly before you answer that, Pierre, Newhook is a perfect example of what I was saying about Hughes identifying players that were maybe not reaching their potential with another organization and saying, hey, come, come with us. We'll help you develop here. And I thought that was a great pickup by them. It was a
1: tremendous pickup. So now I'll take you a little deeper into it. You think about where Alex Newhook played before he went to Boston College. He played in the BCHL. Yep. Uh, Jeff Gordon's son, Jack, played in the BCHL. So Jeff Gordon was watching him a ton. Um, and then obviously Ken Hughes and his, his boys and their mission and what they've done. And then, you know, Alex Newhook goes to Boston College. Um, <laughs> the Hughes boys are at Northeastern. So Kent's always at all the games. So you're, you're seeing guys and you're scouting, even though you're not working for a team. And eventually you say, this guy really fits. So, what do I think New Hook's top end is? I think he's a very good second line player in the national League. I think he can play center or he can play wing. He's a multi dimensional weapon. I don't think, if you're an elite team, I don't think he can be on your first power play. I don't think he can be on your first line. But if you're a playoff team, if he's on your second line and he's getting 20 to 30 goals and he's getting 50 to 65 points, I think that's a good player. And that's kind of where I think Alex and could can be.
0: And interesting, uh, as, I, as we talk here, I see coming over the wire uh, and the team I cover too. So i going to have to write about this in a bit. Uh, Jacob Zaboro on waivers, Pierre. I'm not uh, And I'm not surprised by that at all. But, hey, here's a first-round pick. I, I I don't know. I haven't seen enough to say that I see the potential that he could turn around somewhere else, but I never give up hope on any player. Maybe that's what he needs just a change of scenery. We'll see. And if somebody picks him up, maybe maybe they luck out and they get a guy that another team gave up on and who knows what happens. But, yeah, he's just – he's had a rough go up here since he's been drafted. Injuries, what have you. It's been a tough one. And I think he was drafted maybe, in my opinion, a little too high. Yes. and And it kind of ruined – expectations set the expectations way too high for the player. I think he's a serviceable sixth defenseman. I think he could fit in eventually on a third pairing, but uh it's just been kind of a rough go for him.
1: So it just shows you how the draft it's so important to pay attention to every little detail. He played in, in St. John. And so you look at who was one of his teammates and was drafted in that same draft. Mm-hmm. Thomas Shabbat. Yep. Oh, so think about it. Shabbat went after Zaborl. Now, Internally, I'm sure they did a lot of debriefs. Why did we take zaboro ahead of Shabbat? I don't know. I wasn't in those meetings. You weren't in those meetings, but I guarantee you there was some discussion about it. But that's an example of what you're talking about, and it speaks. It dovetails right into the question we were asked before. What about Reinebacker versus Mischkov? There you go. And and I would tell you this: I would have done what the Canadians did. I really would have, and the reason why is I think the upside for Reinebacker is massive. Um, Now, I know he's only played 13 games in the Swiss League so far. Part of that's because of injury. But he's a kid playing in a man's league right now, and he's doing well, well enough. And I I think that the upside is massive for him Uh, in terms of Mishkov. You just don't know. You don't know because of the contractual situation with Russia and and the situation. It's not the kid's fault, by the way. No. This is not a reflection on the young men. This is just a tough situation. With what's going on with Russia and Ukraine, and and where Russia stands politically worldwide right now, so it's just tough. It's tough for their athletes. It's really, really difficult.
0: Yeah, and you know what? I, hey, the Canadians weren't the only team that passed on Mishkov either. So no, they, they weren't.
1: But I, I would say this: reinbacker's good, and and he'll I just agree. He'll just keep getting better and better. I'm glad they let him go back rather than force feed him into the AHL. The AHL is a tough league. Yeah, I don't think physically that he'd be ready. Uh, for that, but I think he's ready to do well in the Swiss League, and he will do well in the Swiss
0: League. I'm with you on that, and we see some uh, some other ones. Uh, I think we got a question from Marco, guys. Can we pull that up? What's uh, speaking of the draft? What's the current feeling regarding the uh, 2024 draft? Any players out of the obvious? the turning heads. Well, we mentioned Celebrini, but Pierre, yeah. what are some other players that you mentioned, Iceman? Uh,
1: yeah, Iceman. It's just, it's too early right now. There's a defenseman at Michigan State, a Russian kid who's really good. I think he'll probably go in the top five, probably the top four. Um, but there's there's still a lot of wiggle room what's going to happen in the top 10. And I, I would say after the World Junior, people are going to have a better idea of where everybody's right. kind of slotting in. The midseason, so just so everybody understands, the midseason rankings for central scouting will come out, you know, after the World Junior. I think that will be the list a lot of people can kind of work off of um, going forward.
0: And uh, we got some more questions coming up from uh, YouTube there, guys. Let's turn them up. Ooh, we've spoken about this already. We'll get into this. And, well, he had a great night last night for sure. But what do you think of that, Pierre?
1: I wasn't really and I like Eric too. <laughs> remember when he's drafted 15th overall the draft in Ottawa and I said at the time and I mean it sincerely, he was the fastest climber. most people had him when the season started as a second round pick. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, hats off to Brian Murray, uh, the late Brian Murray, the general manager at the time in Ottawa and you know smart what they were able to do by getting Eric. He was a tremendous player um, you know 15th overall. But I was not a fan of this trade. I thought they were getting redundant with he and LeTang, uh, two guys that virtually are the same. And I think it it kind of threw things off caliber a little bit in in Pittsburgh. Now, again, it's early. We'll see whether it pans out. But right now, so far, it's been underwhelming. It's been underwhelming for the entire team. And I think for Eric, it's been underwhelming.
0: I I, I love the word you just used there, redundant. And, you know, you and I kind of talked about this last night. It's just... It was a tough fit, really, you know, and and it's it's not Carlson's fault that And by the way, you know, a lot of people think Carlson's one-dimensional, and you know, he definitely is more offensive. But as you were talking about his early days and Pierre, that 2017 performance that got them the game seven how, against the how, Penguins,
1: about, how about the pass he made in the Bruins
0: series? Oh. Unreal. I mean, it's I'm really telling you, his in the history of the game. Honestly. Yeah. If they get past the Penguins and into the Stanley cup final that year, even if they lose, he's, he's challenging to be at least second or third in Conn Smythe voting. He was a beast in that playoff. And I, that's him. when he won my respect because I really didn't think he had it in him, but he put a team on his shoulder and I'll always respect him for that.
1: You know, one of the things that's a great call, by the way. And I agree with that team. You know, I did all those games and, uh, for NBC. And <clears throat> one of the things that impressed me about Eric, uh, I remember the Olympics in, in Sochi and Canada was just so good. You know, Babcock was a coach. He had a murderer's role of players. Carey Price was on top of it. He was in Fuego. It was no fun watching Canada play. They were just too good. Like nobody could even get to the net. But Carlson was the one player when they played Sweden versus Canada in the gold medal game. Carlson was the one player where you say, Okay, this guy can hang. Yeah. This guy can play, and he did. I never, none of us had a chance after the Matt Cook injury, where Matt stepped on him or his skate cut him. He, mm-hmm. I don't think Matt meant to do it, but whatever, it cut him, and I feel terrible about it. And I think everybody involved feels terrible about it. Carlson was never really the same explosive skater. Yeah. He's been great, don't get me wrong, but that injury for him never allowed him to be as great as I think he could have actually been in all facets of the game, not yeah. just offense, but defense as well.
0: For sure. And I, just, I want to get to this one question here uh, from, from Matthew says, are we already answered One from him, but Pierre, he's asking what you think of Putin <laughs> 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 So in our house, I can tell you, our children
1: were born in Northern Quebec, St. des monts my wife is from Saint-Jevet, Quebec, which is north of Saint-Agathe. Um, I've been there since 1965, so I've been there since I was four years old. I'm the only one in our house that doesn't eat poutine, so wow. I, really can't, I can't answer that. Um, <laughs> but I know that it's a popular uh, summertime dish for our family when everybody gets to congregate at our house up north. Um, but I think poutine is pretty good. I just, I haven't. never my, hit my I'm not gonna lie to you, Jimmy. My go-to, and they're not a sponsor, so I can say this with a clear conscience, it's Saint bear Barbecue. And it's I like the half chicken uh, with the coleslaw and with, uh, french fries with the french fries. I gravy.
0: love those. It's funny that the poutine is is actually making it down into the states now. It's all over the northeast. Um, <laughs> and especially, you know, I'm up in uh, I'm in Portsmouth, New Hampshire right now. And, you know, Pierre, you must know how many French Canadians over the years have oh. always come down to Hampton Beach and Seabrook and Portsmouth. And uh, it, it's just taken off. It's everywhere now. So it's it's it always it just reminds me of my Montreal connections for sure. Wait, Every time well, I see it on a menu. Are you a poutine man? Have you been oh, a- I'm a huge poutine man. And you know what? I love? I'll tell you, too. We, we got McLean's in the background there, too. A little bacon in it, too, because I'm a big bacon okay. guy. So okay. not exactly healthy. But <laughs> there's no way to eat poutine healthy. It's just not a healthy meal, but it's delicious. Um, so yeah, let's go to our next question. What do we got here, guys? Okay, I, I I'm fine right now with the way they're going. As we mentioned, size size needs to be a focus. Um, and I, as Kent Hughes said flat out on the show the other day, it is a focus going forward. So. I'm OK with it Pierre. Um, I know, though, based on the history in the city of Montreal and all the championships they had and, and the storied franchise that it is, it, it's starting to feel a little impatient amongst the fan base there and some of the media. So I get it. I understand it. But I would just urge patience. I really would. So
1: I like the rebuild that they're doing so far. Um, to me, the big, there's a couple things. One, they need to get bigger, Jimmy, you nailed that. You were spot on, they yeah. need to get bigger. And they understand that internally as an organization. So Slavkowski was a big step forward on that. The acquisition of Kirby Dock was a big step forward of that. Caden Gooley uh, is just starting to scratch the service. Kovacevich, Jaden Struble, they're starting to get bigger. You can see that. But, but here's the one thing. And I talked about it with Kent, and you could see there was some energy there when I asked him the question about winning and losing in Laval. Mm-hmm. And right now, they're not winning in Laval. And that's not good because no. if you're going to create a dynamic internally of having high organizational standards and being successful, you're going to start winning at the American League level. So that winning attitude becomes infectious in the organization. I think that's something to watch in the rebuild that get, gets addressed, whether it gets addressed at the trade deadline this year or in the summer through free agent acquisitions or bringing in better minor league players. I think that's something to watch for a long-term with Montreal.
0: Go ahead. No, I was going to say – I was just going to
1: say, a big yeah. part of the rebuild is the depth you have in goal because mm-hmm. that's part of the chip in the game that you need to have. The Canadians have more than enough depth in exactly. goal, and especially with the development of Primo this year, the signing of Montembeau, and Fowler's the real deal. Jimmy? He's the real deal. He's special. I agree.
0: And I would say one thing too, Pierre, that I think I would like to see a little more from the, from the younger players, especially in Laval, is to be more difficult to play against. Be a pain in the ass out there. There's nothing wrong with that. Start to be a thorn in the side.
1: No. And so one thing I'd say, Michael Pezzetta is playing up obviously. And he, he had that pain in the derriere kind of stuff. Arbor Jack guy had that kind of the pain in the derriere kind of stuff. That's how he got his opportunity in the NHL. He's down in Laval now. I know it's different. Like, he's used to flying on private planes, staying at the Ritz mm-hmm. Hotel and eating filet mignon. Now, you know, you're, it's a little different. You know, now you're eating uh, pucci. You're on the bus Belleville and then you're on the bus to <laughs> Toronto. And you're not playing at Scotiabank. You're playing at Coca-Cola Coliseum. It's different. Yeah. I, get it. I get it. Um but they need to become harder to play against. I would agree with that.
0: Yeah, and and speak. I'm glad you brought up Jack guy there too. Before we go on here, quick, and I want to get to a question from Marco D'Amico, uh, my former colleague at Montreal Hockey Now. Here, um, a lot of people think that they're like they're upset that he was told to kind of pick his spots more when it comes to fighting down in Laval. I've got no problem with that. I don't want to see him. If I'm the Canadians, I don't want to see him playing some guy that knows he's really got no shot probably to make it to the pros, and the only way he can do it is if he takes down a guy like Jack Eye. I don't want to see Jack Eye be used for that purpose and, and have him lose or have his confidence get crushed because of that. I get it. I don't think they're telling him, we don't want you fighting ever again. I just think they're saying, look, man, a lot of guys are going to try and use you to get to the next level. Don't let that happen. If you don't have to do it, don't do it. Obviously, there's times you have to do it. you got to stick up for your teammate. That's fine. But don't just do it for the sake of doing it like they're trying to do. I
1: I think that's well said. I don't even have to add on that. I completely agree. The biggest thing for me for Arbor being down there, defend hard. Clear the crease hard. Move the puck hard. Take away gaps in the neutral zone hard. Mm -hmm. Be hard, like you said. Be a pain in the area. The fighting stuff, he knows how to do that. Yeah, don't worry about that. He knows how to do that. Work on the other stuff.
0: Exactly, really? exactly. Well, let's go to that question from Marco D'Amico right now. Interesting. I think it comes, but Pierre, is there something to that that they should be a little Cole, worried about? Cole's or is it gotta more, more
1: Yeah, Cole's got to score more. I mean, their Cole Caulfield can't be you know one and done on on games or no goals and three shots on net. I mean, Cole's got to be better off. He knows. It. He doesn't need to hear that from me. And Marty St. Louis the one that can help him get there. There, I don't think anybody else on the stats can be able to relate to him that there's no scoring on there. Alex Burroughs played great with the Sadines, but was Alex a natural goal scorer? No, it, it's hard to teach scoring. I know Mike, the late Mike Boss, he tried to do it. I know Pierre Turgeon who just got in the Hall of Fame. He tried to do it when he was a special assistant out in L.A., uh, it's not any, e- it's not easy to teach that people how to score, but I think St. Louis has been able to get Cole Coffee to a certain level. Now they got to get to a next level. So that's part of it. Suzuki's got to be more of a finisher than just a playmaker. And I think that's mm-hmm. part of it. And, hey, I, I'm, I'll tell you right now, Jimmy, I was expecting Josh Anderson to be a 25 to 30 goal scorer. I'm not going to pretend.
0: Yeah, me too. And it just, you know, he's got
1: one goal. And so. Yeah. You know, did we all get it wrong? Everybody get it wrong? I don't know. We'll see. Okay. With
0: with Cole, I want to say Pierre too. One of the things I've noticed too, and he had it when he first came up, and you know, he was he was almost seamless. Is he he can't seem to separate as much as he can, and 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 get to those spots he needs to go to to find the lanes. Is that just his confidence right now, and it will have to come back, or or is that something physically that maybe they got to worry about?
1: There's some things that he should be watching, and I'm sure the Canes are doing it. I'd be showing Artemi Panarin clips, how Panarin moves around the offensive zone to create scoring chances. I'd show David Pasternak clips to show how Pasternak – everybody thinks Pasternak's just a one-time shooter on the left-hand side of the ice, you know, and that's not true at all. You cover all his games. He's equal opportunity. He'll shoot from the corner. He'll shoot from the blue line. He'll shoot from the right side. He'll shoot from the left side. He'll get to the – he'll shoot from anywhere. Cole's got to kind of figure that out and the last one I would show him is the goal that Connor Bedard scored last night as a smaller player playing against some big trees in Edmonton and what he did the deception on the shot and how he manufactured that shot that's the kind of stuff that Cole has to do as a smaller guy and if he does it he will I think he's a 40 goal scorer I do and more than that if he can but I do think they got to start showing him comparables and I bet you they have them I
0: bet yeah. like for sure. And, and look, you bring up that Badar shot. Oh my gosh. I, I'm, t- I'm telling you, I had a friend of mine who's just getting into hockey and she really hasn't watched it a lot over the year, but she's, she's watching and she's watching. And, and she said, Did you see how quick that puck came off his stick? Like, what the heck? And <laughs> it was just, it's yeah. amazing. That's one of the fastest releases I, I, I can remember in a long time. And you got to remember now, this is an 18 year old
1: young person wait till he's a little stronger and a little quicker and a little bit more savvy. It's going to be electrifying. He is, he is the real deal. He's not fake. Um, he's a playmaker. He's a scorer. He's a winner. How about the way he handles himself with the media?
0: Oh, unreal. He's, and what he, and what he had to go to. I don't, oh, we're exactly not gonna even right. It's just phenomenal. Just,
1: it's, so yeah. much respect for him and the way he carries himself. Really a ton of respect.
0: Yep. And uh, Pierre, you're going to love this uh, quickly and we'll get to some more comments here, but I know Matthew, we've already answered your question, but you're going to love what he says there. I don't know. Love to see Pierre Maguire on the podcast. It's a double D on. <laughs> <Well, laughs> Funny you bring you, that up. <laughs> thank you,
1: Matthew. Um, you know what? That was the 2005 World Junior. That was in Grand Forks, North Dakota. And I remember that like it was yesterday. And It's a long time ago now, almost 20 years. That Canadian team was so good. Yeah. And just think about it. One line was Corey Perry, Patrice Bergeron, Sidney Crosby. I mean, you had Jeff Carter and Ryan left. You had Mike Richards. I mean, if you look at it, it was a murderous row of players. Uh, yeah. Shea Weber was on the back end with Dion, and they were playing tons of minutes together. Braden Coburn was on that team. And I can tell you this. Dion Phaneuf, at that time in his career – was as ferocious as any player playing hockey. And, I mean, Scott Stevens, and is that. you think yeah. about all the heavy sluggers that were out there, uh, the late Brian Marchman, they, they were, who eventually Marchman and Faneuf ended up being teammates and partners in Calgary. That's um, right. I can just tell you right now, he was as ferocious as anybody. And if you haven't seen the clip, watch it. I mean, that that's one of the great hitting sequences of all time. It really is amazing.
0: And there's somebody sell Shane saying he was lucky enough to watch an exhibition game in Winnipeg that year. In that game, I thought Bergeron was better than Crosby.
1: Shane, you know what's interesting? You probably were watching the game either against Finland or against Switzerland because Canada played two um, there. And before one of the games, it's a great story. It's before the last cuts. Gordon Miller and I, who did the games for the nine straight years, uh, the World Junior, were sitting in the stands. And all of a sudden, Gord gets a call and he shows it to me. And the, the idea on the phone says Wayne Gretzky. <laughs> so I'm like, on oh. <laughs> So Gord picks up. Hello, and it was Wayne. And he said to Gord, "Who are some of the guys that are on the bubble?" And Gord says, "Well, there's probably only one." Goes, Who's that? And he goes, "Corey Perry." So he says, "Tell Pierre to go to the locker room and get Corey Perry out. I want to talk to him." <laughs> I'm like, "I'm not going down there." To what? <laughs> But anyway, I sat down. I saw one of the trainers. I said, "Could you tell Corey Perry there's somebody he was going to want to talk to?" Pretty before. big, yeah. Trainer goes, "Yeah." So Wayne talked to Corey Perry, and he says, "Hey, you're like the leading goal scorer in the Ontario Hockey League. You should not be on the bubble here. Get out there and start scoring." <laughs> and he did. I think he might have had two or three in that last pre-tournament game. You'd have to look it up. But he made the team, and eventually plays on a line with Bergeron, who the the caller the uh, the questioner. It was a great question, and and Crosby. That's the line. Wow. Bergeron, and Crosby and, and Perry. And they yeah. just
0: rough shot over the tournament. They just, yeah. That was insane. Well, well I said he, I,
1: Gretz calls up and says, Who's on the bubble? <laughs> <laughs> Let me talk to him.
0: <laughs> That's the yeah. motivation right there. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Uh, switching gears, going back over to the West. I like this too. I, I, I like when we talk about players not getting enough love. And I think he's absolutely right. Rich H. Let's pull up that question here. Pierre Casey to Smith real pleasant surprise in Vancouver I completely agree
1: I am not surprised at all Rich and thank you so much for that question so Casey is a tremendous story uh kid I've been following since he was growing up in New Hampshire I know he got recruited by Bobby J who was an assistant coach at Harvard he doesn't get in there um, he eventually goes to UNH and and you know the, the thing about Casey to me that stands out is how he carried himself in Pittsburgh and if you look at the Vancouver Canucks now Their head coach, coached and played in Pittsburgh. Their Mm -hmm. general manager, head scout, assistant GM in Pittsburgh. Their president of hockey operations, Pittsburgh Penguins, Stanley Cup winner. You know, you start looking at Sam Lafferty drafted by the Pittsburgh Penguins. You start looking at that roster, it's a lot of Pittsburgh influence, and Casey's part of that. And then the reason why Casey's so great, I think, is because of the kind of person he is. He's an amazing, amazing guy. So Jacques Cloutier its probably a name that doesn't resonate with a lot of hockey fans. Jacques Cloutier is one of the best backup goalies I ever saw. I remember. He never complained, took a bazillion shots every day. Guys could hit him in the head and he would laugh at them. He was an amazing, amazing gentleman to be around. He was a great goalie coach forever in Colorado and also in Buffalo. And guess what? Casey DeSmith reminds me of that. He really does. That's Case great. has been That's my praise. Had a great career. He's a great person. I couldn't be happier for him.
0: And, and it's good. I think it's helping Demko. I really do having well, yeah. the in there. Here's the thing
1: about Thatcher. Thatcher's an amazing athlete playing goal. So yep. he's getting more. Ian Clark's the goalie coach in Vancouver, and he's got a long track record working with Roberto Luongo and people like that. Mm-hmm. Good, really good goalies that have had great careers. And what I would tell you is, is that, Um, Thatcher comes from an amazing, his mother was an elite athlete. His father was an elite athlete. So Thatcher comes from his athleticism, um, obviously through birth, but, uh, he is an amazing hard worker and he's extremely coachable.
0: I love it. A question I missed and I apologize, Frank. Can we pull that one up guys? I don't know if you see it, uh, about Habs trading a D man for a forward. Uh, Mm -hmm. do you think that could happen Pierre?
1: Well, I think anything can happen in this rebuild. I really do it. The one, if you were to say and do a tail of the tape, what's the one thing the Canadians have an abundance of that they can afford to maybe move? I'd say defense. Yep. And part of why I'd say that Jordan Harris is hurt right now. You know, they just got David Savard back. Jaden Struble, and you heard you heard the general manager the other day, Jimmy, say how excited they are about the way Jaden has played. I mean, he's been tremendous yep. for them. Um, and they've got Ryan Backer obviously coming along. Um, they've, they've Arbor Jack guy who's down in the American hockey. They, they've got a plethora of depth. So I, could I see that happening? The answer is yes. Could I see a goalie being moved? I'd say, yes, I could see yeah. a goalie being moved, especially this. We talked about the world junior before. Let's uh-huh. just say it comes down to Augustine and Fowler splitting for the Americans, splitting the games, and then we'll see who eventually plays better. I still think Fowler needs another year of college before he comes out. But let's say he goes there and is sizzling. Who okay. knows? You never know. You don't know. But I would say they leave him BC for one more year to learn from Greg Brown and Mike Ayers. Mike Ayers is a goalie coach there. He's done a fantastic job at BC. So, again, I look at it. It's it's a good balance. And Montreal's got depth in key positions.
0: I would say that's where it's just going to go. I said that's not by accident that they, where their depth is. Because, no. I mean, defensemen – are in high demand all the time. I look around the NHL right now, how many teams are looking for a defenseman and how hard it is to find. So you,
1: it's so great that you're bringing this up. So we've got 32 teams in the national hockey league right now. And now we're talking about another level of expansion. Defensemen don't just fall off trees. No, they're hard, like elite defending defensemen are hard to find. They're really yep. hard. Um, I look mm-hmm. at Colorado. And I think about when they won the cup a couple of years ago and you look at that defense and they were stout. Like, you know, McCarr and Caves and Josh Manson and Sammy Girard they were stout. Bone Byron's hardly playing yep. because he was concussed. You look at it now, they still got a lot of the same people back. I know Sammy's going through some stuff right now personally, but at some point he'll be back. Um they're good for a reason. Everybody talks about the firepower, but they're good because they, they got some sandpaper on the back end. They're hard to play against.
0: And, and then look at, we brought it up a couple times, Vegas too, you know, the Redwood Forest with those guys. <laughs> Listen, Kelly McCrimmon, we
1: could sit here for hours and go over what George McPhee and Kelly McCrimmon have done in Vegas, Jimmy. They have done yeah. a masterful job with their scouting staff. You can't be a small defenseman and play there. I'll I'll, I'll give you one. I know how much George McPhee really liked Nate Schmidt. He's a guy that signed him in Washington, Mm -hmm. undrafted player out of the University of Minnesota. And when he had a chance, he brought him to Vegas. And he was part of that initial Vegas team that went to the Stanley Cup final. They didn't win. They lost to Washington. And then Nate Schmidt moved on to Winnipeg. And he's had a very nice career. He's an undrafted player. He's had a fantastic career. But I think about it now and I'm going, why would they have done that? And then I look at their defense year in and year out. Yeah. They're all trees. They're yeah. massive trees yeah. back there. <laughs> <laughs> it's,
0: that. it's crazy.
1: You know, so there's one. So every team has an identity. Their identity on defense is big.
0: Yeah. They're
1: big guys. They're big guys. Yeah.
0: Yep. And that's what that's what wins in the playoffs. And uh, thanks, real deal prime. There saying he subscribe. Want to remind everyone there, hit that subscribe button, hit that like button. We really appreciate it. Uh, and we've really enjoyed gaining the the followers over the past few weeks here. Uh, what else we got here? I think we I think we've covered some, Pierre. You know, but I want to ask you a question right now. Uh, my own question here, Pierre, and you know, I'm going to take it back to the team I cover right now. If you're the Boston Bruins, what's your biggest need right now? Great
1: question. If I were asking Santa for a present. If I were Donnie Sweeney, I would ask him for a center iceman that could he manufacture should. points. Mm-hmm. I'd ask for a slick center iceman that could manufacture points.
0: Yep. And that keeps everybody kind of in the roles they should be. And you said something to me off the air and I'll say it here, Pierre, I'm sure you won't mind. But, yeah. you know, I, I was telling you how a lot of fans were like, what are they doing? Because, you know, they've got some guys out. Pavel Zaka's is out right now and then McAvoy yeah. in the back end. So they move Morgan Geeky into the number one line there as the number one center. And he'll be there tonight when they play New Jersey devils and, and fans are flipping out. Like what the hell are you doing? Uh, Jim Montgomery. And and you, you said it perfectly. They're protecting Charlie Coyle. Yeah. And, and that's what they got to do. Because if Charlie Coyle goes into that number one slot, he's not going to be as effective as he's being right now. And I got to tell you, Pierre too, if I, if you, If you said to me, right on the spot, who is their MVP this season? I'd say Charlie Coyle in a heartbeat. So I would back you up
1: 100%, Jimmy. Uh, Charlie Coyle's been the MVP. And I know Pasternak's having an unbelievable offensive year again. No surprise there. But Charlie, the heavy lifting he's done, the shorthand of play, the face-off play, the five-on-five offense, being able to be flexible, playing deep in the lineup, playing up in the lineup. Um, Charlie's done some tremendous things. So, again, if you were to ask me one gift, if I were Donnie Sweeney, and I was writing a letter to Santa Claus, I'd say, can you bring me a really skilled center iceman that I could play in the one or the two hole because I lost Bergeron, I lost Krejci, so then I could keep Geeky and I could keep Charlie deeper in the lineup. And then when Zaka comes back, I can either have him play center or I could have him play wing. You know, I want one slickster down the middle. I want yeah. one slicker that can be a point of game player, and that would help
0: me a lot. So, Pierre, the obvious, too, and, and it's just for other teams, too, who need centers, is I'm guessing Craig Conroy is getting a lot of phone calls, whether it be from Don Sweeney or other NHL GMs, yeah. looking to fill a slot in the middle there for Lindholm. But at the same time, you look around the league, he's going to cost a lot, right? So He's going to cost. He's gonna this cost. Is, and you and I have this conversation a lot. This is a time where pro scouting really. Co- really plays a pivotal role for teams, especially teams that feel they got a shot at the cup. Right. And I'll we just brought up Charlie Coyle and I'll go back to the year they acquired him. Uh, that was the year they lost to the blues in 2019. And a lot of people were like, Ooh, interesting move there. I, I didn't see that. Come-. And there you go. You know, so maybe sometimes it's not always the obvious or the, the, the center that's front and center right now, no pun intended uh that you go for this is when maybe you need to because the brewers don't have a lot of arsenal to deal with in terms of prospects or picks so maybe they got to find. i don't know if diamond in a rough is too strong a word but kind of leaning towards that
1: yeah i think they were hoping for a little bit more out of fabian lazell offensively that hasn't happened yet but again he's still young so you look at it and you give him a fair chance to develop a little bit more um Mason Lowry, by the way, I think you got to be excited about oh, him, yeah. a young man out of the Green Bay organization, the USHL, and and obviously um at Ohio State. The best part about his story, he's the only player born in the state of Louisiana. I know that's
0: ever made the national hockey. The guy. only one to
1: score. <laughs> I, I, I think that's that's awesome. I, yeah. I
0: really love that
1: part of the story.
0: And you 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 want to coach down there, didn't I you? I did. Too. I
1: coached in Baton Rouge where he was born. Sure. Uh, I was St. Louis's farm team. I'll never forget it. I was—I uh, just uh, been let go in Ottawa because we had uh, a managerial change, and I was actually going to go coach in Europe. Um, mm-hmm. I had a very nice opportunity to go coach in Europe. And I got a call from Mike Keenan and Bob Berry, who were running the St. Louis Blues, and they said, look, we're putting a farm team down in Baton Rouge, and um, it's an important thing for us because they didn't have a lot of prospects. They had a lot of NHL players that were really good, they didn't have a lot of prospects and they said uh, we'd like you to go down there and, and coach for us and i said yeah, you know what let me think about it and i called scotty bowman up and he said you should go do that it's a, it'd be a good thing for you so I, I went down for a year i loved it there and the kids that i had a chance to work with shane knight he made the national hockey league oh wow uh, and he played for a long time and i had shane and coached against bruce boudreau for a lot of games we played i think 16 or 18 times that year against Biloxi, Mississippi, um, it was awesome. I loved that whole experience of trying to help make players better and riding the bus and dealing with the trainers and the injury. It, it was just – it was eye-opening, and it was really fun. It was really, Interesting really fun.
0: stuff. I see this comment here from Rich H., uh, and I agree with him. Uh, Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvin doing a great job there in Vancouver. Pierre, you, you and I have spoke about this a couple times. Look, uh, to me, Jim Rutherford is – one of the greatest hockey minds of my lifetime, I think, in the job he's done wherever he's been. I know you, you respect him as well, Pierre. What do you think of what they've done over there?
1: Oh, I think they've done a great job. The first thing they did, and this is not a knock on Bruce Boudreaux that obviously got replaced by Patrick and Jim, but hiring Rick Tockett. And I remember a lot of the pundits were not happy about that. They were, no. ripping, they were ripping them apart. And I was like, no, he's a really good coach. I, I had the privilege of coaching him. Uh, I've had the privilege of watching him coach uh, as an assistant coach and as a head coach in in Arizona in particular. Um, Rick's an amazing hockey guy. He really is. And and adding Adam Foote and Sergey Gonchar. We talked about Gonchar and what he's done for that defense. Don't forget Adam Foote as well and Mike Yozer. and So they've got a heck of a coaching staff. But what I like about their defense, um, you know, obviously Tyler Myers and Nikita Zadorov are big guys. Another Pittsburgh tie-in is Ian Cole. I didn't even think of Ian. You That's know, a Tom cool. Stanley Cup winner. So, you know, I don't know how much this has been brought up or if it's even been brought up, but they're the Pittsburgh Penguins West. Yeah. You know, Teddy Bluger's there, too. You yep. know, Casey more and yep. more guys, come on. Yep. Um, and maybe this year, anyways, one of the best stories that we haven't talked about yet is Brock Besser. Oh. Brock Besser tied for the league lead in goals. Jimmy, I'm just going to tell you, this is one of the most quality people in the National Hockey League. And I'll give you a quick story. My son was playing junior hockey in Penticton, British Columbia. And the head coach of the team, Fred Harbinson, who's been on our show, called me Mm -hmm. up and said, there's a young man in our community that's really, really sick right now. And they have airlifted him down to Vancouver. He's got cancer. And he and his mother are staying at the Ronald McDonald House. Do you know anybody with the Canucks? that could go and visit him or bring him something. I said, give me a couple hours and I'll get on it. So I, I called up Brock Besser and I said, hey Brock, sorry to bother you. it's Pierre McGuire. Um, I'm wondering if somebody from the organization, maybe you could, could go over to Ronald McDonald. He says, we were just there. He said, what's it for? And I told him the story. He went by yeah. himself with a game sweater signed by him Presented wow. it to the young man and his mom and stayed there for a couple hours with the kid. I, this is an amazing person. I'm just telling you. Yeah. He, he never asked for any credit. I, I only tell you this story because we're talking about it now. Mm-hmm. Just a fantastic kid. Yeah. Fantastic kid.
0: And after the year he had last year too, Pierre, we were talking about, you know, Travis Sanheim and the way he kind of sucked it in and said, all right, let's get to work. And it, he did that as well. I, I'm really impressed with the way he's bounced back and, you know, he didn't sulk, he didn't feel sorry for himself, he didn't blame anyone else. He just corrected what needed to be corrected, and look at the year he's having.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. That's that's great. And uh, you know what? Hockey's great. I love celebrating the stories of the really honorable people in the game, because there's so many honorable people in the game that never... You know why we don't celebrate? Because they don't talk about themselves. Well, they don't.
0: Yeah, they don't ask for it. They don't ask for it. it. They, they just do it because they want it. If you
1: celebrate for somebody, you don't have to tell anybody about it. You know what yep. I mean? And that's how these guys live their lives. And I have so much respect for the way a lot of these guys care Yeah, so it's really true.
0: Like, I mean, no offense to any other pro sport, but I, I think yeah. when it comes to charity and working with kids that are sick, hockey players are the best. I mean, I love it, especially that around this time of year, too, with the holidays.
1: Like, you're in Boston. I grew up in Montreal. You see the visits that the, the teams put in. They go in oh. to see the children at the hospital. and You know, it's just amazing. And, and I got – you know, I just want to tell you, the other day you spoke so eloquently about Tony Granado, and we'll leave mm-hmm. it on this one. Tony's watching the shows, and um, I've been in touch with Tony a fair bit. And, um, Good. We, we joke with one another. We're kind of having some fun. Um, but he's battling. He's ready to battle. He's got the gloves off. And anybody that watched him play or anybody that knows him knows he's full-on ready to go.
0: Yeah. I'm, Pierre, yeah. I want to mention, too, sadly, another uh, former player, Kelly Chase, announced uh, yesterday that he's – going to be fighting cancer as well. So we, we wish him the best there. Um, and Pierre, you know, before we go here too, and I, I know you were close to him and you were there uh, with his family when they honored him in the Hall of Fame. And it was three years ago today uh, that Pierre Lacroix yeah. passed away. And I know he meant a lot to you. So we're we're yeah, thinking yeah. of the Lacroix family today for sure.
1: Well, that's really nice of you to bring them up. Um, had the privilege of coaching Eric and Martin at uh, St. Lawrence University and uh, I'm so excited to watch Pierre Lacroix's grandson, uh, who's playing out in the Knoll right now, for a team that David Clarkson, the former NHL player, is one of the owners of. He'll be playing at Boston University. He's a goalie. But um, the Lacroix, their dinner that they had in memory of their father at the Hall of Fame and the, and the NHL players that were there, um, mm-hmm. it was overwhelming. Raymond Bork was spectacular. Pierre Colerino, yeah, Denny Savard. Uh, it's just it, Michel Goulet. It was Jimmy, it was amazing. Oh, I to love be you. Uh, there and to, to hear what these men had to say about Pierre Lacroix, really, it was amazing.
0: That's a good name you brought up there, Pierre. I love Michel Goulet. We got to get him on the, on this podcast. Oh, he
1: He'll come on anytime yeah. once I, he gets I, going though, Jimmy. Oh, like, oh, yeah, he's
0: the best. He's the best. He's the best. I, I, I just tell let you know quickly. I like we won't get into stories We won't have time, but I met him the first time I ever met him. I uh, was in Quebec City, the 2008 World Championships. Remember when they had it there? Oh,
1: Jordan Miller and I did every game. So Okay. So
0: so I found myself one time at the end of the night, I was in a pub, a little, it's like a, one of those like little cigar bars. And it was uh Michelle Goulet and Igor Larionov and me. <laughs> and that's it. And I just sat there. We talked about being a fly on the wall. I was the fly on the wall there. And the stories these two traded, oh, unreal. What a great time. what a great and I've kept in touch with him since he's a he's a good man, a good good person.
1: Two tremendous hockey people right there. Igor's doing very well coaching over in Russia right now. Yep.
0: Goo is professor.
1: Uh, yeah, the professor and goop's goo is the professor too. I he mean is. He's a hockey oh, he is. One professor. He's just tremendous. He's great. So
0: good stuff. Um, well, listen, dude,
1: it's me. great memories. I'm glad that's one of the things I love about this show. We have great opportunities. To celebrate all these great people that are part of the game.
0: Yeah, and somebody said Blackhawks legend, Michelle Goulet, Alex B. Whoa, so good. just one more. The 1990, I always bust goo about this. The
1: best line in the league in 1992 was Michelle Goulet, Steve Larmer, and Jeremy Roenick. Oh, yeah. They were, and well, Pittsburgh, you know, went in there and swept them in the foraging. Uh, yes,
0: we know. But,
1: <laughs> but what I can tell you, the respect we had for that entire Chicago Blackhawk team was huge. But in particular, Ronick, Larmer, Goulet—that line was crazy good. And in old Chicago Stadium, they knew every crevice in the rink. They knew where the bounces off the boards were coming. Yep, it dominated board play. I—I I, I can tell you this: I changed the defense in that that whole series. And Ulfie Samuelson never got enough credit for the job that he did. I was playing him against that line all the time, and. Alfie was phenomenal, just an yeah. unbelievable guy in that series. He does Alfie deserved a lot of credit in that series. Bob. I remember
0: you telling me, Pierre, even though you guys swept him. I mean, there were some difficult games in that series. Game three was
1: one-nothing. Yeah. And one goal came off of one face-off in the offensive zone. I think it bounced off Kevin Stevens' bottom. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, past Eddie Golfer. But game game three was hard. We we should have lost game one. Yeah. We dominated two. We should have lost one. Mario Lemieux and Larry Murphy put on a show. In game one, when we fell behind. And then game two, we dominated. Game three, we won one, nothing. And then game four, I think everybody kind of way. Yeah. You know, and...
0: The old Chicago Stadium. You've had <laughs> <in> <laughs> some great places, my friend. Hey,
1: when you stood on the bench there, you could feel the floor shake. It was wow. unbelievable. It
0: and didn't, really they was... Have, you, didn't you have to go downstairs to get yes. back? Yes, your...
1: <laughs> it was 24 or 25 steps down to get to the dressing room.
0: Anybody <laughs> ever take a day or what? No,
1: but you'd come up the stairs and there'd be this white light at the top. It's like, are you going to heaven? <laughs> <laughs> you get up and all you felt was the noise. It was just oh, wall that wall of noise awesome. in the old
0: Chicago stadium. Good stuff. They did a good job, though, keeping the United Center uh, pretty loud as well. There's, There's
1: nothing wrong with hockey in Chicago. No, it's There's a great wrong place. in Chicago, especially when they're winning. There's
0: nothing wrong with hockey in Chicago. For sure. Well, we want to thank all of you out there for your comments, your questions. And uh, again, hit the like button, the subscribe button. We appreciate it. And, uh we'll do this again we're going to try and make this uh more of a regular thing where we just kind of shoot the breeze and, and and answer your questions and talk hockey with you so thanks a lot and uh pierre thank you we got a guest on friday by the way and that's right why don't we tell mike, them right mike now carter, we're on mike campus carter. friday
1: yeah mike carter on on college campus friday mike carter at colgate university is going to come on first year coach there, doing a very good job and He's the all-time leading scorer at Colgate University. Doesn't get nearly enough acclaim. Played 12 years of pro hockey. Tremendous player and uh, great goal scorer. Awesome awesome offensive point producer. And a very
0: good modern-day coach. I love his philosophy. He's very, very strong. I like him. Looking forward to that. And I look forward to all our on-campus Fridays. And Pierre, too, just to let everyone know out there, next week uh, we will be on Monday. um, And then Wednesday will be our last show before Christmas. Uh, so I think we're going to take that day to kind of tee up the, uh, the world juniors uh, over in Sweden. We'll give our predictions, our scouting reports for that. And I can't wait for that, Pierre, because I know how much that tournament means to you. So uh, I really look forward to talking world juniors with you on that episode.
1: It's just, you know, I, I was talking to my wife the other day, Jimmy, not to get too uh, melancholy. And I said, the one thing that I loved more than anything was being able to go to the world junior every year. And to watch the players and to watch the coaches and to know this was going to be the next wave of great players and great coaches coming in the league. And, you know, you watch Alexander Ovechkin as a 16-year-old. You see Sidney Crosby score a goal in Helsinki as a 16-year-old, the youngest Canadian player to ever score a goal in a World Junior Tournament. I watched Ryan Suter and Zach Parisi in Halifax and all three carry the skate sharpening machine out of the Halifax Arena i mean i can go down the line in in 04 zach parise held yeah. the american bus first time they ever won world junior goal was 2004 in helsinki john hines was an assistant coach mike eaves was a head coach zach held the bus the american bus so that he could come and say thank you to gordon miller and i and the tsn crew wow. for being fair and balanced on the broadcast
0: Oh, that's that awesome. shows
1: you a lot about zach yeah and, and i can go to all these different events then one of the best ones though was in Lexan, Sweden. It was a Jonathan Taves, Carey Price shootout performance against the Americans. Oh, yeah. The Jonathan, if you have never seen it, and I said it at the time, I don't think Mario Lemieux or Wayne Gretzky could have done at the same age what Jonathan did did in that tournament, especially in the shootout situation. And I got back and I was expecting both guys to give me a hard time. (laughs) (laughs) And, And I saw Mario not long after, and he goes, you're right probably yep. really. <laughs> wow. and and Gretz always deferred it was oh yeah no you're right on just such just such a gentleman but yeah
0: yeah it is and it's great and you know Pierre too I, mean, I I gotta thank you too and and you and Gord I mean you guys helped kind of I, I guess the word would be I guess built you, you you helped build that amongst American fans because you know for a while it really wasn't getting enough love in the States yeah. Um, but as you guys continue to do that and, and fans caught on. And then of course, thank, thankfully an NHL network would pick up your feed. Uh, it was something. And, you know, I, I love turning people on to that tournament, even if they're not hockey fans, they always love it. It's they, they can feel the passion. If you're a sports fan, you will love the world juniors. And, uh, I look forward to talking about that next week with you. Way to go, Jimmy.
1: That's All right. Really awesome. go. Sounds
0: good. And we want to thank our production crew as well here at the sick podcast network. And by the way, I want to thank Tony Marinaro who uh, he he does his show uh, on a sick podcast network every Monday through Friday at 10 o'clock, check it out, 10 PM. Uh, and they focused in on our Kent Hughes interview him and Eric angles the other day, really gave it a lot of love and broke it down. So thanks to Tony and Eric for, uh, for the love they gave us in that episode. And uh, thanks to all of you out there for the love you're giving us right now. We will talk to you on Friday on, on campus Friday here on the eye test. See you then.
1: And that's a wrap. Hope you don't
0: miss us too much until next time.
1: Follow the eye test with Pierre McGuire and Jimmy Murphy on YouTube, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts.